Now, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this series. And I'm joined here by the amazing Linda Ward. Um, and Linda and me, I met Linda on LinkedIn. I've came across some of her articles, really, really interesting, um, her approach. And as part of this retail growth series, um, Linda has a different way of looking at um, retail um, sustainability and renewal. And just a little bit about Linda then. So um, Linda is the person behind Retail Renewal. And um, she's a lifetime of business experience. She's worked at companies ranging for large multinationals, um, at Marks and Spencer's, Debenhams, and um, right across to solo entrepreneur retailers. Um, Linda believes there's simple changes in every business and they can be more profitable and sustainable and reduce its carbon footprint. So it's not just for those big, big retailers, it's for those small solo retailers as well that that can be done in. Um, she's 17 years at Marks and Spencer's in the UK. Europe and Ireland um, and it was her responsibility um, over that store development and the new stores that was brought into the Irish market and um, she's also part of the project team who set up the first Devon store in Ireland so she can see she's a lot of experience for a lot of years and working with a lot of different um, organizations and businesses. Since 2008 she's served as a secretary and coordinator of the Irish Charity Shops Association and they have um 40 members and 450 stores nationwide. So you can imagine that she has um, that unique um, perspective as well from the charity sector and a lot of stores there under her belt. Um, so Linda has always had a lifelong interest in the environment and sustainability. Um, and the recent um, global developments have given her um, this renewed urgency to really look at sustainability in businesses. Um, her background is she has, um, she's qualified in sustainability management management and she's also an associate member of CIPD and she does a lot of trainings and a lot of workshops and she works with um, Retail Skills in Ireland as well and various other organizations um, in applying this um, knowledge. Um, Linda believes it can be um, this can be easily turned into um, a really green approach and really looking at it not as a tick the box exercise but looking at it as more of a long sustainable approach. We had a really interesting chat before we came on today and we're going to talk a little bit about more about that now with Linda and um, yeah Linda so Green Zebra is your amazing business that you've started and um, tell us a little bit about that and, and what it is and um, Green Zebra I suppose they're doing or their vision mm. and, and what the retail piece is going to be in that business. Well thanks Louise and I'm really delighted to be here. Um, I suppose Green Zebra really came out of uh, about uh, 12 years ago now I set up my own business my own company as a retail consultant I got involved in the charity shop sector as you as you outlined there and those sort of two worlds were sort of very separate um, and then I sort of realized that actually they were there were lots of similarities between the approaches that were needed between the charity retail sector and the commercial retail sector. And then, as I said, I had this light bulb moment in 2019 when I realized that, you know, I'd, I'd started to learn more about sustainability and I realized that people don't know what they don't know. And that really I had this lifetime of business experience I then overlaid that with the with the knowledge of sustainability and how to run a sustainable business and thought, well, why don't I just put the two together? So that's really where Green Zebra came from, which so Green Zebra builds greener businesses. We're really on a mission to make SMEs go green. 
I suppose is in really simple terms is what is, is what, what what we're trying to do. And it's really about encouraging companies to look at what they're doing at the moment, to see the good things that they're doing that they maybe don't even realize that they're doing that is contributing to their sustainability, and then look at what things they can do to improve that. Um, and how small steps can lead to bigger things and that you know people you know you use the word like sustainability strategy and people sort of go ah you know that sounds too scary and too too big and yeah it is big but any as you know any strategy is made up of putting lots and lots of small bits together mm -hmm. so you look at all the various elements that are going to make up that sustainability strategy and you start with them and then in the end you end up with a sustainability strategy um, and one of the things we've developed in Green Zebra is um, an eight pillar program, which enables you to do that. So there are seven sort of areas that we look at around sustainability, which and you put together a strategy for each of those areas. And those areas are energy, waste, water, supply chain, transport, biodiversity and people. So you take those seven elements of running any business and you put together a strategy for each of those. And then then you can come up with an overall strategy because, you know, the IPCC reports coming out later on today. And what that's going to say is stop consuming fossil fuels, stop chucking greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, because that's what, how we're going to get global warming and the Earth's not going to be habitable by the end of this century. So it's, it's really, and I'm, 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 I'm sort of simplifying it to make a point. And obviously the IPCC report will be a lot longer than that, but that's essentially what it's going to say. Mm -hmm. So it's incumbent on everybody as an individual, as a consumer and as a business person to make their contribution to that. And so it's reducing your carbon footprint, reducing the amount of greenhouse gases we're chucking up into the atmosphere. That's really what everybody's got to do. And business has got a really big responsibility for that as well. Mm, really interesting. I think um, what you touched on there was that um, there, there, I suppose there is seven pillars within your system. How does how do you assess or how do you see kind of where where that is? Um, do you do like a little self audit with those retailers? Um, what how do you assess where their needs are, where they're at with that sustainability piece? Well, it's really um, we we've we've developed a green zebra audit, which is actually a free tool that's on our website, okay. and that takes each of those seven pillars in, and well, the eight pillars, including the strategy pillar, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that really um, it asks questions of of you as a business. It's it's, a, it's more of a checklist than an audit, really. So you know, mm -hmm. here's biodiversity. Do you do this, this, and this? So it's really just a, a questioning people and getting them to start thinking about mm -hmm. it. Once once somebody's looked, done the audit and thought, oh, yeah, you know, I've actually got a few things in place mm. there, for example, under the people subject potentially or energy. But mm. then when it comes to biodiversity, I'm not doing anything. So, you know, we would encourage people then to really we've got a whole load of resources on our website, which has got. Mm. Um, which people can go in and start to find out a bit more. So if you want to find out a bit more about diversity, go onto the website. On the on the website, we've got a what is it, where to start, and a case study. So there's some basic information about that subject on the website. Once you've had a look at that, you think, mm, actually, you know, I might want to go a bit further with this. I might want to actually try and find out a bit more about this. And then we would encourage people to come onto the 
onto the, um, the the Green Zebra membership program that we've got, whereby we would run we run a series of um, eight workshops, eight one and a half hour workshops over eight months, um, and then that really then looks at each subject in a bit more detail, and then we'll give you practical tools as to how you can how you can um, how you can improve your your sustainability in that area. So, for example, we've just launched the first wow, we've just launched the first um, set of workshops which started last month, and we did energy as the first one. So in that workshop, everybody came along with their energy bills. We gave them a simple spreadsheet they could use to fill out to work out what their energy bills were in total in kilowatt hours for the for the year, taking a baseline year, which will be we've taken as 2019, because obviously that's pre-pandemic, mm. and then work out what your greenhouse gas emissions are from that. You can work out what your greenhouse gas emissions are from the energy that you use in your business. And then you can then start looking at it and saying, right, okay, so how can I reduce this? So not only is it going to make you more sustainable, it's also going to save you money because, you yeah. know, if you reduce your energy costs, as we all know at the moment, the mm. costs are going through the roof. Um, that's that's going to help you there. So it's really a, it's really looking at what you're doing now and then breaking it down into practical steps that you can take to actually improve the efficiency and, and sustainability of your business. Mm, it's really good and I think it's a really great way I think you said you touched on earlier it's little little things you can do little building blocks that's really interesting now before we went on we, we had a brief conversation we were talking about um how to retain staff and 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 some people might say what has staff retention got to do with sustainability like what is one for the other but what is really interesting I think we 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 alluded to this earlier is that you know there is there is a workforce coming to the market at the moment, the Gen Z workforce that are really, really looking at that sustainability in businesses and they want to know where things are coming from. And um, they're really looking at um, ethical um, products and are they ethically made. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and, and where you see, I suppose, um, retailers retaining staff and, and even maybe even bringing staff in because they have that um, in the right place where it should be. Well, I think, you know, to retain the staff of the future, you're going to have to have a lot more holistic approach to the way mm. in which you recruit and retain people. Mm. And it's actually no longer, well, it never really was, to be honest, about how much you pay them. Like mm. people, I, I would always maintain throughout my whole career, people actually go out to work for the money, but they don't stay in a job for the money. You know. Yeah. So yes, everybody goes out to work because they need to earn money, but that's a really simplistic way of looking at it. And people stay in a job. People work for people. They don't work for organizations. So people stay in a job because it's somewhere that they feel comfortable. It's somewhere where they feel valued. It's somewhere mm. where they feel that their contribution is is being valued um, mm. and that it's it's somewhere where they're comfortable to go every day to work. Um, and I mean, I, I can honestly say that that all, hasn't always been the case in my career. I've had lots of times when I've dreaded going to work because of the toxic work you know, toxic nature of the workplace, you know, that, that retail used to be. Um, mm. But it doesn't, it, you know, that you won't get away with that anymore. You know, people won't mm. accept that level of, you know, um, of difficulty in their day-to-day -day working. So just to bring it back to today, so mm. to, 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 um, to look at, how, you know, how, how you can create your workplace in, a, mm. in, in, in a somewhere where people actually want to come to work. And that does involve sustainability now. Like, you know, 
50% of, 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 you know, if you look at the Gen Z, for example, that you talked about there, Deloitte do a really good consumer behavior study uh, every every year. And the study that they did for 2021, um, the, you know, Gen Z are adopting more sustainable behaviors than any other group. And, you know, 50% of the people in that group are actually reducing how much they buy. And 45% of people mm. in that group have stopped buying stuff because it's not ethical or sustainable. So you translate that into the workforce, they're then going to come along and say, okay, so I want to go and work for X company. So I'm going to start looking at how do they treat their people? You know, have they got a diversity and inclusion policy? Um, you know, is there flexible working? What's their attitude to equality and equity? You know, so, you know, they're going to want to start looking at these sort of things and making sure that the workplace that they're going to be working in reflects their current values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, um, I think I've I seen it anyways, myself working in retail, I've seen over the last, definitely the last three to four years, um, there was a huge shift in customers coming into stores and asking where it's made. So they would walk over to the product and they would say, is it made here? And sometimes where the confusion would be is that it might be packaged in Europe um, and it might say that it's it's in Europe, but it doesn't mean it was made in Europe. So that's where there would be a little bit of a, you know, uh, confusion there because it, it might say it's made in Europe, but it might necessarily that very generalized term um, wouldn't mean it was actually made in Europe. It might be made in China and it might have been packaged in, in Europe. So kind of things like that. Have you have you come across that the consumers are actually find it difficult to actually differentiate where things are sourced or where they're ethical and um, yeah well and I think the benefit that the consumers have today is that we've all got these things in our hands we've all got a little computer in our hands now so you go into a shop you look at a product you can yeah. search for it you can find out more about it yeah. Um, and you can also find out what the company's not telling you about it. Like if a company is not being transparent about where it came from or what the component parts of it are or where is the lithium produced that goes into your mobile phone? Um, and is that being mined by 13 year old boys in South Africa? Like just you know I me, mean? like if they're not being honest about where the materials are coming from that go into that product, you can find out about it now. And I think this gives consumers huge power to actually demand of retailers and demand of people who are providing the goods for them that they are, that they do know where they come from and they do know who made them and they know how much those people were paid. Um, and so I think it really is, it, 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 I think it's a great, a great sort of development in a way is that that power is going back to consumers, but consumers need to wield that power, you know, mm. and, and retailers need to understand that consumers are wielding that power. And instead of resenting it or seeing it as a negative thing, they should be turning it around and making it into a positive thing. And how can I respond to this? So maybe as a retailer, I need to start looking at my supply chain now. I need to start looking at asking questions of my suppliers and if I don't get the answers that I like, then maybe I need to think about moving to a different supplier. And that might mean nearshoring it, which is the which is the opposite of offshoring. I mean, that's what 
everything what was done in the 90s and the noughties was everything mm. went over to you know vietnam and thailand and china is the biggest product producer of fast fashion um it's not bangladesh or whatever people think very often um and now it's being brought back it's it's now being nearshored it's being brought back into somewhere where it's nearer partly because of the oil crisis and partly because of the you know Evergrande and all sorts of things have contributed to to, to that to that supply chain wanting to be made shorter um, but like the nearer it becomes then the more transparent that supply chain is likely to be it might if you're producing something in Europe as opposed to producing it in the Far East it may be that the cost of that production is going to be slightly higher and the goods that you're producing are going to be slightly more expensive but explain that to your customers explain why you're changing and what the benefits of that are because there's not just the economic cost of what you're buying there's the environmental and the social cost so if you're if it's being produced nearer to your market and yet the people that are making it are being paid a, a living wage or a, certainly a, a minimum wage, then that's a good thing. And if that makes the goods slightly more expensive, then maybe as a consumer, we've got to be prepared to accept that. Um, and then, of course, there's the environmental cost is, you know, if you if something is being produced nearer to where the market is, then the transportation costs are going to be less. Um, and there's lo lots of other things that are going to knit into that that are going to reduce the carbon footprint of it as well. Hmm. Do you have any examples, I suppose, there might be people listening that are in that sector that have a small retail outlet and they're trying to see where the benefits, I suppose, or, or, or examples of where you've seen um, maybe smaller retailers really, um, I suppose, successes out of implementing those those strategies you're talking about if you can share any stories I think so people can um maybe get an idea of what that looks like from a day-to-day -day perspective I think it's more it's it's mm. it's about changing your yeah. perspective from just looking at price and mm. looking at your products from a more holistic point of view you know mm. and I mean in terms of coming up with specific examples of people that have done this I'm just racking my brains now I, should, I could have prepared this but anyway mm -hmm. just racking my brains to try and think of yeah. what that is but I think it's more about shifting the mm. mindset from I've got to produce everything as cheaply as possible because mm. that's what people want what yeah. I'm trying to say is don't assume that that might that isn't necessarily what people do want now yeah. and that if you're open about you know if it's you know if it's if it's too good to be true it probably is like if something is really yeah. cheap then you would ask yourself what why is that the case mm. you know mm. and so I think it, it's more about changing your sort of perspective to look at the value of what you're producing in in three ways as opposed to one way so you're looking at the environmental the social and the economic mm. and the financial you know the economic cost or value of what you're of what you're selling you know yeah. and yes i know that's a difficult message for people to hear especially at the moment when you know energy prices are increasing by 25 and 30 percent mm. but i think if we're going to have a sustainable planet in the longer term i think that's the way in which we have to think mm. and also that's the way consumers are thinking so if that's the way your customers are thinking, mm. then that's the way that you've got to think as a as a, as a retailer. Um, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of retailers are using um, 
refillables and um, there's kind of a shift in the cosmetic sector where you know we're seeing a lot of stores now getting fitted with um refillable um containers so they're going back into that store with their container and they're having the refills there and i can see that shift already in the cosmetics industry and um, where a lot of a lot of stores are doing that and they're you know the customer can come in and do it themselves and there's a lot of even um you know healthy eating stores that are doing that as well and um it's nice to see that bit of a shift there and putting a bit of a focus on that and some retailers even they're they're allowing you to bring back your old jeans um and i'm putting that back and you get a whatever 10 15 percent off um you know your your next purchase um but that they're showing that you know we're not just chucking them out we're actually using this yeah, right. recycle those jeans again so there's yeah. there is things out there I think that um we can be creative in the approach that that we can make um at definitely at a at a, a daily level or at a local level um and I know even in 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 New York um I think it was in Macy's in New York. They they filled a window um with with old clothes in it, and and it was half filled, and it was all old clothes. And um you know at, on the top of that window it had um this is the impact of this is the impact you're having on the environment, and it was it was to showcase um again that the. the the fast that clothing world were really disposable um clothing and they had a, a clothing line in there that was a sustainability clothing line and we're starting to see that now a lot more and yeah, yeah. um, brands bringing in um clothing lines and there, there's if you know it, it really is sustain i'm seeing that word everywhere sustainability a lot in, in retailers mm-hmm. um i suppose how do we know how as a consumer um how do I know um, how sustainable a brand is um, if, if I go in? is And I know you talked about earlier about uh, different fabrics. So you can look at, uh, you know, what fabrics are in it. And I think you're talking about a top you had that was linen and different things like that. So I found that really interesting because I, I was 10 years in clothing. Um, but again, I wouldn't have looked at that as a consumer. So um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's quite interesting for people to, to know that side of it. Yeah. Well, I think as a consumer, it's actually quite difficult because mm. retailers don't actually make it very easy for you to mm. do that. But like, yeah. I suppose if you look at it from a sort of principal point of view, yeah, anything that is a composite fabric is really difficult to reuse and make into something else. At the mm. moment, only 1% of the clothing that's actually made in the world is then recycled. So that what they call garment to garment recycling, i.e. the garments are taken, they're broken down and they're made into new garments. And your example of the jeans is a very good one. And actually denim is one of the most easily recyclable fabrics because it's generally 100% cotton. And because it's 100% cotton, it can then be broken down um, and the fibres can be literally broken down and it, they can be rewoven into new fabric and make new jeans out of them. And there's a really good company in the Netherlands called Mud Jeans, which actually you can buy in Dublin. There's a couple of retailers in Temple Bar that sell them. Mm. And they do exactly that. And they've been around for about 10 years or so. And so they, you can actually rent jeans from them and you can return the jeans to them at the end of their life and they will make them into new jeans. But that, as I stress, is only 1% of the clothing that's actually produced. So from from a point of view of consumer is that 
I would try and look for something that's 100% of something. Like I was telling you about my mm -hmm. linen top. I was delighted last year to find this 100% linen top in a sale, which was even better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wonder why it was in the sale. And um, because it's 100% linen and it creases. But that fabric will eventually rot and, and, de and decompose. So like when, I, when it comes to the very end of that life of that fabric, after I've, I've used it, I've passed it on to somebody else, it's been made into another garment, it's had lots and lots of lives as a garment, eventually mm. when it falls apart, that fabric will rot and, and go into the soil and come, become part of the biodiversity. This top that I'm wearing at the moment is 100% polyester. And this is made of um, fossil fuels. This is made from oil, effectively. Um, mm. And this will never rot. You know, so this garment, so we've got to find a way. There's lots and lots and lots of polyester garments in the in the in the world and various other, you know, um iterations of of of, of, of synthetic fabrics. Yeah. And so we've got to find a way of taking this polyester garment and making it into another garment instead of throwing it into landfill or burning it, which is what happens to it at the moment, generally. I mean, it, there mm. is a certain amount of reuse that, that happens, but a lot of fabrics do find their way into landfill and into, and into um, incineration. Um, so from a consumer's point of view, try and buy 100% of anything fabric, because that's eventually mm. gonna want, gonna be able to be reused, remade into new, to, um, try and buy the best quality that you possibly can or that you can afford because that will last longer and the longer you own a garment and the more use it gets the the it reduces down its carbon footprint because the carbon footprint of a of a nice of a garment the majority of the carbon footprint is actually in the manufacture and as you know from your days in the textile business the, the supply chain for garments is hugely long and complex from mm -hmm. producing the fabric to finishing the fabric to making it into yarn to making it into fabric to then making it dyeing it transporting it like it's a hugely complex um uh, supply chain now um so therefore that's where a lot of the carbon is used and then if you can if you can extend the life of that garment then you're going to reduce the amount of carbon footprint that it has mm. by second hand there's an awful lot of I mean, I was to say, I speak for the charity shop world where obviously we want everybody to go and buy in charity shops, but yeah. they are the original circular economy. Like charity shops have been around since the middle of the 20th century and they've been sustainable long before that word even existed in that context. Um, mm. But there's lots and lots of commercial retailers now who are getting into the rental, into yeah. selling, you know, reselling that you can take goods back to, you can take you know garments back that you've bought with them before and they will resell it onto somebody else so all these new ways it's not about necessarily making it less less you know less profitable for retailers it's just a different way of thinking about it and taking a different approach to to how you view the 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 the, the, the product that you've got so instead of the old you know, linear model, which is take, make, and waste. So we, we extract the resources from the ground or from the from the from the soil. We make something out of it. It goes into distribution. It goes to a shop. When we're finished with it, we throw it away. Whereas the circular economy is where those resources are kept in the loop as much as possible. So there's only a very small amount of residual waste. I mean, the mm. circular economy. I could spend another half an hour talking about it, but that's that's effectively what it is. So if you think about it in those terms, so it's seeing what you have. Everything you have is a resource. So there is no away. There is no waste. 
what we have is materials that we need to try and keep in use as much as for as long as possible. So at the moment, reuse is a big thing, but we've got to find a way of actually taking the resources that we do have and making new stuff out of them. You know, when you think about the number of mobile phones that are sitting in people's drawers all over the world, billions and billions, and you think of all the materials in those mobile phones, all of the, you know, precious metals and minerals that are in those phones, we're actually having to mine virgin. If we actually took all of the materials out of all those mobile phones, we could make new ones. Mm. We don't need to mine new minerals mm. in order to do that, you know. So, and the plastic, of course, that's in them as well can be, can be reused. Um, mm. So, yeah, so there's lots of things whereby you can think about, you know, once you start thinking about things in a circular way, then it's really interesting how it then can inform how you consume and retailers have to respond to that, to respond to that, 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 that movement and that desire in their consumers to want to be more circular. Hmm. So definitely, I think reusing what you have, you said there and just looking at what, what you can do within your own means. And I think that what you touched on there it is the small everyday things and even we I worked at a brand before and we had one specialist in that region that looked at um, energy costs and it was as simple as people leaving the bathroom light on all day simple as you know and even sorting the rubbish in the canteen out so it was really you know little things like that that we can implement what is your kind of vision I suppose so you've you've, you've greens ever started now what would your vision be of of this because obviously you've you've built this you've you've this amazing seven pillar program where do you see this going or where where do you see that uh, vision I suppose my vision would be is that every business would look at what they do Mm-hmm. and see what they can do to to contribute to, to stop contributing to global warming and to stop mm-hmm. as i said stop chucking the greenhouse gases up in the atmosphere and i think that every business has got the potential to do that mm-hmm. and i think if and i suppose where i'm coming from is mm-hmm. trying to meet businesses where they are to say okay it's fine we know I know we we we, you know we've done all this for for decades but we we are where we are now Mm -hmm. and we've now got to take this 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 forward so my vision would be is that every business really addresses the issue and really looks at it from you know what am I doing and where can I start but more importantly where do I want my business to be in five or ten years time what's it going to look like who are my customers going to be? You know, where am I going to get my products from? You know, if energy is going to carry on being as, as, as uncertain as it is, which it looks like it is, like, you know, because we haven't got enough renewables at the moment to replace the fossil fuels, and yet we need to stop using the fossil fuels. So there's going to be another sort of five years or so where prices are going to be really up and down, and it's going to be really, you know, it's not going to be very certain. So... You know, how am I going to cope with that? What does that mean for my business? How how am I going to look at my energy consumption and how I use energy both downstream, like, you know, coming into my business from my suppliers and how I where I source all my products from and then upstream, which is, you know, how am I using my energy and how can I change that? And how can I reduce that? But it's not just energy. It's looking at the, the way in which you do business. And business as usual is not going to work anymore. You know, and the last two years of the pandemic 
have shown us that so visibly, you know, that things that we took for certainties and was, you know, nothing was going to change and all of a sudden it did. Um, so, you know, the, the combination of the pandemic and climate change, I think, should force every business to start really looking at where they want their business to be in five years time and what's their business going to look like, what are the products they're going to sell, what are the services they're going to sell and who are their customers going to be. And if they start asking those really fundamental questions instead of saying, well, you know, I've always sold to this cohort or, you know, for the last five years, my sales have been this, you know, you can't look back, you can't look at what's happened in the past and expect that to be there for the future because that's not going to happen anymore. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that approach, as you said, there is is topical in everyone's mind. I think, especially with COVID, even pre-COVID, there was a big focus on it. And I think before we even spoke about customers are asking now, and even with that new emerging workforce, people are more mindful of of where their products are sourced and sourcing locally is is a big focus. I think as well, and. Mm-hmm. Um, you make it you you do have a way of breaking it down and and having it more simple for retailers and um, to understand that because i do think linda it's with sustainability previously it was felt like it was maybe a, a maybe the larger multinationals looked at those and mm-hmm. um, but you know i think small retailers will benefit looking at those processes and their businesses as you said from a cost saving um, perspective um, and also um you know supporting in that in that and contributing to that and um, even from their local community because we're seeing a lot of businesses now are are really it, it's more community led and um, even even if you do have multinational in a local if you've a large chain store they're still really getting involved in the community be it the GAA be it you know um, local charities whatever that is so there is that field that people now are looking at bricks and mortar retailers not just their selling product on a shelf but they're there contributing to that local um, economy and local community around them through those different things um where can people find you so your um your business is green zebra and you touched on there that you have um your seven pillar course it started already and if businesses do want to get involved in your program linda and where does the best reach you on your website or linkedin or where's the best well either really the website is greenzebra.io um and on the website you'll find lots and lots of information about the program um, we also have a lot of free tools on the website um, and you, you, you can engage with all of those. We're actually in the middle of producing an ebook at the moment, which we hope will be a real um, sort of pointer for people to be able to pick up one document and say, right, OK, here's the eight pillars. This is this is what they're all about. And this is where I start. Um, so the ebook will be coming out in May um, and really. Um, and as I said, if anybody wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, then you'll find me on, on you'll find me there under Linda Ward. Um, so, yeah, really, um, that, the, the website is probably the best place to start. That's where a lot of the resources are, um, most definitely. Um, and if anybody that the, the, the eight pillar program that you described there, we've got three cohorts starting each year. So we've just started one in March. Now, the next one will be in June and the next one will be in October. So if anybody's interested in joining us in June, please get in touch. Um, I'd be delighted to talk to anybody. We do do a pro bono 
um, program as well for charities um, and not-for-profits. So if you're a charity or um, a not-for-profit and you're interested in coming on the course, we provide one place free at every um, at every intake for, for, for those people. Um, and in fact, we've got two on our first intake. You know, we've got two charities on our first intake at the moment that are working with us. Um, and uh, that's that, that that and that's really we're trying to live. We, we're not trying. We are living the values that we espouse. So that whole community and giving back thing, that's that's part of what we're doing. Um, and we're also part of one percent for the planet, which means that we will donate one percent of our turnover each year to environmental um, projects around the world and that's through an organization called one percent for the planet so i'd really encourage any business out there who really wants to give back to have a look at it it's a fantastic organization it was set up by yves chouinard who's the founder of patagonia um, and it's a fantastic organization and it's a really i say easy way for companies to give back but it's certainly a really um What's the word? It's it's a very ethical and, and 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 sustainable way for companies to show that they are they are concerned about the planet, and that will only help in terms of all the things we talked about. It'll it'll you know it'll get traction with your customers, and it will also um, get traction with your potential employees. It's mm. amazing, Linda, and um, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it, um, and I think it's given people a really good insight and a taster for what that looks like in their retail business and how they can, you know, get involved. Um, and um, for it to be, you know, it's 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 small things like you said there, and and bringing those into the forefront and the yeah, yeah. benefits of it. So thank you so much. I'll have all of the links um, underneath this um, recording and reach out to Linda. Linda's really approachable. I've spoken to Linda. I met her through LinkedIn. So definitely reach out. She is an absolute expert um, in the sustainability piece and I'm one of those people out there that you definitely want to reach out to and have a conversation with because she'll enlighten you for sure. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. Thank you so much, Louise. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.